With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with light workers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. My guest today believes that heaven is not a consistent location, but is a constant state of being that is available to everyone. He says it's always possible to live with heavenly grace and joy and to do it the easy way. Robert Kopecki is a three-time near-death experience survivor who translates his extra-dimensional lessons into a tangible understanding of our true spiritual nature. Are you ready to meet him? Robert Kopecki has been an illustrator, art director, and animation designer for the New York Times, PBS Kids, and more. His path was punctuated by three very different near-death experiences. After a dark night of the soul and, and a decade of study, meditation, and service, Robert's various lives and deaths inspired him to easily pass on the lessons he'd learned the hard way. He's the author of How to Survive Life and Death, and his new book is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying. You can find out more about Robert and his work at robertkopecki.com, and his popular blog is at robertkopecki.blogspot.com. Robert, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Of course. I'm glad to have you on. You, you've had three very different near-death experiences, and I'd love to hear just kind of briefly what they were and how they were different from each other. Um, yeah, and I think that that's, you know, that's probably something that informs my, all of my ideas is how different they all were from one another. Uh, when I'd had the first one, it was just kind of amazing, and I, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. That was kind of the nature with all three of them, but um, the three of them together put things into a whole different kind of focus. So the first one was a classic. They were all they were all classic motifs. The first one was an out of body experience where I was in a single car accident. I had an equipment malfunction and glanced off a weirdly parked car and went straight into a telephone pole and found myself at the top of the telephone pole just the very next instant, looking down at the car wreck below me with this kind of steam roiling out and I, it was it was a twilight and so the street light was on and I could look over into people's yards over hedges and stuff and see lights going on in their porches and people ran out and assembled around the the accident and called an ambulance and I witnessed them take my take me out of the car and put me into the back of the ambulance and I tried to communicate with people but it didn't really work and then I was kind of shepherded off by an, an unknown but uh, benevolent presence to a, a kind of a pastoral place where I underwent a kind of conversation, like a, an easy sort of interview of sorts uh, in this um, 
kind of beautiful, probably the most classically heavenly location that I, I was in in all three of them. So that was my out-of-body experience. My, um, my second one was a life review, uh, the, and it was years later, and a number of different factors in my life led me to a very self-destructive lifestyle in downtown New York City in Manhattan. And that led to this uh, kind of a, an overdose or a, a sort of um, a collapse, basically, is what happened. And I just fell out on the floor of my apartment and was paralyzed from the neck down. I just could not move at all. And I was with somebody, and they faded off, and the room filled in with a brilliant white cloud. And I found myself, uh, as in my first experience, completely released from the material aspect of it and just having this sense of being enfolded in love, in this kind of expansive, illuminative, loving intelligence. Um, But I was directed to look into this cloud, and a kind of a screen opened up and started playing these uh, scenes from my life, so to speak, not like a film, but sort of like the actual experiences themselves, like, like boxes of time that I kind of entered back into. And these were not the golden moments or, you know, the best hits, greatest hits or something. They were these kind of pivotal, seminal moments where I maybe had not been present for somebody in an appropriate way. I, I hadn't noticed I was hurting somebody or that there was some kind of great opportunity present for me. And so it had to do with my being aware in that moment. And I saw maybe five or six of these kind of scenes strung together. And then um, the voice of the person that was in the room with me being upset kind of entered back into it, and that all faded out. And that was my second, my life review. The uh, the third one was my least favorite. It was some years later. This hap- These happened over about 15-year periods, mm-hmm. roughly evenly spaced. <clears throat> and... I was in a small town in Arizona. I'd been snowboarding between New York City and Arizona, and I was essentially jumped by a gang of skinheads. I was knocked unconscious from behind with something heavy like a crowbar or something like that. Uh, And um, they apparently, according to the police report, they stomped and kicked me for quite a long time. And uh, in that one, I still had kind of a sense of what was going on outside, like it, it was almost like outside of the room I was in, there was this violence going on, and it was sort of the least celestially heavenly place. It was kind of terrestrial, or had a feeling of of being almost womb-like. Again, I felt like completely enfolded in love and free of of my uh, of of my temporal, my material self and stuff. But I had these entities around me, these benevolent entities, like guardian angels, I suppose you could call them, who insisted that I had done things the wrong way, that I wasn't supposed to be there yet, and that I had to go back. And I struggled not to. I didn't want to. This is a kind of a classical forced back into life uh, motif. And they sort of picked me up, as I remember, and pushed me through kind of a membrane, and I popped back out onto the sidewalk Uh, laying on my back on the street, and an emergency medical worker was over me and said, he's back. And that was my third uh, and least favorite near-death experience, if one has such a thing. And so those were the three uh, different experiences. Like I said, each each one in and of itself uh, is exclusively pretty interesting and fantastic, but altogether they set me off on this path of really trying to discover what they meant and why they were different. Now, you have 
said that each one of those gave you a kind of a, the book, so the book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, is organized around these three main principles. And as I understood your work, it's you kind of took one from each of those experiences. Can you share what those three main principles are? Yeah, the the first one, the out-of-body experience, you know, if anybody out there has ever had an experience like that where you are above yourself and you witness your physical body down there, that's a very unique sensation. And it's kind of hard to get the genie back in the bottle after that, so to speak. Mm. So um, ever since then, and more so as, you know, through the years, I meditated on it and studied more and, and just lived the experience of this life more. I came to realize that it had given me the gift of perspective, I call it. That's the first section of the, the book, is the gift of perspective, perspective where I had really uh, become able to, uh, to witness life, to witness human life, to objectively witness the, the, the profound uh, presence of, of what it meant to be a human, and to recognize that each person is this vehicle that's occupied by a, you know, a lighter-than-air diaphanous energy being that I found myself as. And so when you uh, look at other people, you can witness the divine consciousness coming through the form of their person, all of their experiences and their, their package of karma, so to speak. And you know, you know that everybody is dealing with the same issues here. And so you have that kind of perspective that enables you to, to recognize that it's really about the principles in life that we have here, like kindness, honesty, humility, forgiveness, compassion, and service are the chapters of the first section that, that can lead us to create a kind of a heavenly experience in this life. So that's, that's the uh, gift of perspective. The second one was a gift of I call presence, where um, having that life review and looking at those moments, witnessing those moments again and all their clarity and their, the kind of plastic nature of them, that if you, we're always alive in this eternal moment, right? I mean, this is always where everything happens, is right now. And so being able to kind of reach into the box of time that we inhabit and make things happen is is the way everything happens. It's the time when we can really be present for one another, to really be able to uh, show up with a kind of a mindfulness and awareness, as the Buddhists might call it, and have an effect on our life and our karma, actually form our karma, or uh, in my case, hopefully change it a little bit, you know, revise it a little bit. So that's the gift of presence. That's the second part of the book. And in the book, I go back to, you know, the, the Bhagavad Gita and the Gospel of Thomas and some other ancient writings because, of course, this kind of spiritual wisdom is just as valid in every eternal moment as it ever has been. And so we learn these different paths to heaven that are still good today, that still work for us today. Um, the last one then was the gift of purpose where these my kind of guardian angels forced me back into this life because I hadn't done what I was here to do. And, and that naturally means that, uh, you know, we all, we all have uh, a kind of a sacred mission that only I am uniquely positioned to accomplish, 
uh, you know, and it's it's uh, it maybe not to be a movie star or somebody famous. Sometimes it may seem rather mundane, but it's actually very important for our karma lives, so to speak, that we are uh, here and present for one another uh, to remove the obstacles to love in our life and in the world, if at all possible, and fulfill our own karmic obligations, regardless of whether they are grand or or simple. You know, just just being there for somebody might be the mission that you have in your life. So it's the gift of purpose is the third one. That's beautiful. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager, and my guest is Robert Kopecki. His new book is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, Wisdom from a Near-Death Survivor. You can find out more about Robert and his work at robertkopecki.com. So these lessons, these, these, these principles, these experiences, you've taken these, and the book, to me, is not a book about dying it's a book about or almost dying it's a book about living about tapping into the presence and the purpose and the perspective in our daily lives as we live them now so your focus is on life it seems to me yeah it really is uh, that my my first book how to survive life and death was more about death more of an ameliorative kind of a tome to to that to help people with this uh, circumstances they may face around death issues. But how to get to heaven is really about what was consistent in my three near-death experiences. You know, the, these <clears throat> these lessons were all different, and the circumstances were all very different. But what I, what I did experience in all of them, and in my subsequent studies of near-death experiences, and now I've, you know, I've been around, I've been around the community quite a bit and heard a lot of them, read a lot of them, and the thing that's always consistent throughout them is this sense of being enfolded in pure love, the the presence of some radiant illumination of some kind, a sense of transcendent unity, of feeling totally connected and no longer separate, you know, uh, transcending the delusion of separateness, so to speak. There's always some kind of karmic instruction, or, you know, there's some kind of teaching, some kind of lesson that's going on. And then, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, we come back every time and that there is no death really means that there's this kind of eternal renewal. And so um, what I'm really interested in and in how to get to heaven without really dying is, is the last part of that, without really dying. We can experience those things that I found consistent to what I consider to be heaven, in this life, everybody has had a little slice of heaven at some time or another. And so if we follow certain principles and we follow certain lessons and we take up certain practices, uh, you can really reproduce that in a lot of ways right here and now in any life you're living. Now, the book's got a ton of exercises. I always love the books that have the practical things where I say, and it says, you know, sit down, do this, try this, how about this? You've got a ton of practical ways that listeners and readers can experience maybe or start to build their own inner paths to heaven. What are your favorites among those? What spiritual practices do you use to help keep you oriented in that way? Um, that's, you know, that's a good question because I've never been asked which was my, which is my favorite uh, one. I think my favorite in many ways is still um, the, the first one that comes up in the book, because in the first section on perspective, 
I talk about what heaven is. You know, it, what do you think heaven would be, right? What is your idea of heaven? And and for me, I know it's a place where everybody would be nice, so kindness is a part of it, and it's a truthful place, so honesty is part of it, and an equal kind of place, so humility, and then everyone's forgiving there, everyone's compassionate, everyone would drop everything to help you, so there's a sense of service there, too. And in the, the first... Uh, in the first chapter on kindness, the exercise for it is a pretty simple one that I've, I've liked since my first book I've liked to offer to people because it's so transformative. And that is just to take a day or two and to be as absolutely kind, as sincerely kind to everyone that you could, as you can be, no matter who they are, whether it's your boss or the person that's helping you at the store or you know, somebody you just happen upon on the street. If you are as uh, authentically kind towards them without um, sharing gossip or being sarcastic or something, you know, being really nice, the, the, the transformation that it will have in your life is just absolutely mind-boggling. You discover that there is apparently, I've discovered, there is apparently this kind of um, um, underground life of the world that is really nice. There's just all kinds of really nice people out there. When I started to practice this myself, I'd walk into a store and notice that certain people would turn towards me and look at me with this look in their eyes like, okay, there you are. You know, I know you. Like The kindness preceded me and conditioned the places that I went. And as a result, I became kind of enfolded in this sort of warm fabric of being that I hadn't known was there before. So that exercise of being as absolutely kind to everybody for just a day or two and seeing what it does in your life, I think is a really great place to start. And that's, I think a lot of times we think about our, our path or our spiritual journey or how we're living our life. We think about it from a place of the things we didn't do right, the things we think we might be judged about. We think about it from a place of lack. And what you're proposing there is those those little things that come from our natural abundance. It doesn't cost anything to be kind, right? Just those tiny, tiny, those incremental changes that make such a big difference. That's beautiful to me. Yeah, and we come into this life <clears throat> in all different places, and our karma allows us to do all different kinds of things with it. You know, some people are born into kind of heavenly circumstances, and then everything goes wrong, and other people are born into terrible circumstances, and everything goes wonderfully well. Uh, it, to me, it really comes down to the to that second lesson of presence. And that is that uh, you know, right here and now, generally, we find everything is really okay, and in fact, everything is really quite good in, in most instances in our lives. And something seems to be sort of carrying us along in a positive way and giving us these opportunities and allowing us to experience love in our life. And it's in this moment that we can experience that and not and covet what we have, so to speak. Not living in the past, not living in the future, but being right in this moment where we can actually create our karma and bear witness to the opportunities and the abundance and the beauty of life. Do you think that as as we do this, as we make that shift, as we kind of follow that, the inner path to heaven that then expresses itself through the way we are with each other, present with each other, kind to each other, in service, humility, open when we're living our purpose. 
Do you think that when we make these changes, we can change our like our physical reality more than just our personal reality, but make changes for the collective in this way? Yeah, because I really, I mean, the, one of the experiences that I had uh, across all three of these and that I read about and have heard about over and over again is that thing I mentioned, that transcendent, that sense of transcendent unity. Um, I don't remember having had boundaries in my three near-death experiences. I was still myself. I was still seeing things through, things through my eyes. <clears throat> and so I had some kind of... Uh, Form, I, I imagine. I don't know exactly what it was. But <clears throat> the fact was that I felt like I was completely unified with everything, folded into a greater mind. And so I, I definitely believe that, uh, that we are experiencing a transpersonal global consciousness. We're all essentially the same thing. That's the gift of perspective, too. You can see that everybody is essentially the same thing dealing with this same kind of package that we've ended up in here, you know, uh, the kind of ride that we're, the vehicle that we're in. And so that, um, that sense of that transcendent unity informs the entire world and it is informing the entire world. The problem that we have in, in our perception of this, it's a perception problem, right? We're not generally um, allowed to explore our spirituality as a real thing, this kind of spiritual sanity that's alive in the world. But I think through the Internet and through a lot of expanding consciousness, um, it's, it's getting to kind of a tipping point where I believe that this sort of global consciousness, this transpersonal consciousness, is going to uh, win the day, uh, ultimately. It's just this small percentage that tends to be the most vocal and the most set on trying to control things that we're constantly having to, to deal with. As you continue your life path, I've talked to near-death survivors and I say, so are you afraid now to die? And they say, no, I know it all and I'm not worried about it. And I'm just, are, you had three really different experiences in three very different, it sounds like you were in, on very different places on your own personal journey when those three experiences happened when you think ahead to when you leave your body are you do you look forward to that are you do you not care are you scared of it are you curious well in a funny way every all of that in a funny way i do look forward to it i mean i recognize that i am in this very moment creating the karma that i will carry with me into the next life mm -hmm. where I will again have an opportunity to address that and to continuously address that mm -hmm. as long as I'm alive in whatever life I'm in. But right now I'm a human being and I'm still occupying this uh, body, uh, unfortunately at times. <laughs> and, and uh, the fact is that I am afraid to die because I carry in me, in my very cells, the, the instinct to survive as a human being. So, I'm not afraid to die, but don't ask me to prove it right at this, <laughs> at this minute, you know. Um, the fact is that I do know that life is this kind of seamless continuum, and so I, I recognize that. And I also recognize that this experience of this moment was something that I had in my afterlife, so to speak, experiences too. I was right here, right now. And this is how it's always been and how it always will be. So it's really the eternal moment that we're living in. We have to go through some, uh, albeit rather difficult ones, uh, lots of times on our way out of this form. 
Uh, and I think that it's absolutely justified to, to uh, be a little scared of that. Mm. Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Karen. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. That's Robert Kopecki. His new book is How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, Wisdom from a Near-Death Survivor. You can find out more about Robert and his work and his other books at robertkopecki.com. His blog is at robertkopecki.blogspot.com. And let me spell that for you. So that's Robert Kopecki, K-O-P-E-C-K-Y.com, robertkopecki.com. And of course, I always invite you to visit karenhager.com. That's a great place to find out upcoming classes and events. You can also book a private intuitive session with me there if you are so inclined. I love holding the light to help other people see their own brilliance, to help other people see their patterns and where are places where we can heal and grow. So that's all at KarenHager.com. If you believe, as I do, that there is a change afoot, that when we focus our collective intention on peace and change, that change really does occur, I invite you to check out OpenPeacefulHeart.com. That's a project I've been working on with my partner for more than a year now. We gather the first Sunday of every month for 15 minutes of guided meditation. It's a free call. There's no selling, no nonsense on that call. Join in a circle of people from all over the world to place our collective intention on peace in our hearts and peace in the world. You can get details about that at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.